Well, good morning. Oh, it's so good to see everyone here today. What a blessing we have. We are celebrating, hear me, the greatest event humankind has ever known. Until Jesus Christ returns, there is nothing greater that is going to happen. Nothing grander. God left the glories of heaven. He became flesh and blood. And the reason is because of the grandness of his heart for you and I. Hey, immensity of his love for you and I that all of eternity will not be able to unravel. Jesus came that he might offer us the greatest gift ever, the gift of hope. If you're excited about hope, at least put a hand up right now and say, thank you, Lord. That is what we celebrate. This week I was studying and um, meditating a little bit, was reading someone, and a, a question came up, thought it was a great question. What is the strangest gift you've ever received? Now, I'm not talking about a gift that you received that someone was trying to be funny. They were trying to be humorous. Like, um, over the years, due to my very public love-hate relationship with cats, which really leans on the hate side of things, if we're honest, I have received numerous cat items um, from people during the holiday season. The funniest one I ever received was actually this thing. That you can actually put this thing in your mouth and you can groom your cat like you are a fellow cat. I cannot even begin to describe the levels of wrong with that picture right there. I mean, can you imagine this young lady is probably a model. She signed up for some gig and they told her, we're going to take this picture. And she says, you want me to do what? And you're only paying me how much money for this? I just want to say straight up, if you have a cat, God loves you. Okay, but if you are doing that with your cat, we have a thing called freedom ministry that you really need to go like the special level of freedom ministry there, right? So when I talk about a strange gift, I'm not talking about one that maybe somebody did on purpose. I'm, I'm talking about a strange gift that someone was serious about. Years ago, I was in another culture and I was preaching, uh, teaching um, local leaders. And after a Sunday service, a local pastor said he wanted to give me a gift. He was very excited about it. And it was a wrap gift. And I said, thank you. He said, no, no, I want you to, un, um, I want you to unwrap it in front of me. So I unwrapped the gift and it was a frame picture of a lady from that culture that I had never seen and had never met. He was smiling big. He looked at me and goes, is she not beautiful? Now, how do you answer that question if you're in my position? I'm like, well, yeah, she, he goes, that is my wife. I said, that is awesome. And I want you to have this picture and I want you to display it in your home or office. What do you do? Your mama taught you to say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I thought, man, I'm just learning all sorts of things about this culture. And so I went back to some leaders who had been in that culture, and I said, hey, I, I got a picture of a guy's wife. I guess that means something. And they looked at me all strange, like, what do you mean? And I showed them the picture. I said, is this not normal for this culture? And they started laughing hysterically and said, no, we have never seen anything like this in our life. And so I thought, this is awesome. I'm going to do something. And so I packed my suitcase back up, and I put that picture right on top of the suitcase put it back in there, went home, told my wife, hey, babe, I got something I brought back from this country for you. I want you to see it. And she opened it up, and I got to explain to her why I had a strange picture of a lady from another culture in my suitcase, right? Come on, I have to wonder. Mary and Joseph received three gifts, and I have to wonder if they did not think something similar about at least one of those gifts. What do you think with me about it? 
The Bible says in the second chapter of Matthew, the only place you find this part of the Christmas story is in Matthew. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the Great, Herod the King, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. So the wise men, because of their seeming standing in society, somehow they arrive in Jerusalem. They get to be before the king. They talk to the king about the birth of the great king, the Messiah, the Christ. And wondering what's going on, and the advisors to King Herod said, well, if there's a Messiah that's been born, it's prophesied in Malachi, he'll be born in Bethlehem. So they, find, they go and they head towards Bethlehem, about six, seven miles away from Jerusalem, not far at all. And the scripture says, they went to the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped Jesus. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, there is no doubt that Joseph and Mary were overwhelmed at the thought that this entourage of people had shown up to see their baby. I mean, the journey for most Joseph and Mary had to be incredible to this point. I mean, think about it with me. They have had an angelic visitation. They have had prophetic dreams. They are pregnant with a child, and they know they didn't do the thing you need to do to be able to get pregnant, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, no doubt, with all the promises given about this child, this child was from God. But then all of a sudden, they find themselves having to go to Bethlehem when they're from a three-day journey away, and they find themselves not being able to find a place to have this baby, as uncomfortable as it was. And Mary will never forget that Joseph's just trying to clean up the manure, and he's trying to get fresh straw in, he's trying to clean up this free trough as much as he can, and the baby from God, is born in the most unlikely of places, and I'm sure they had some doubts rise up about this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, these shepherds show up, and the shepherds say, we just had our own angelic visitation, and this choir of angels began to sing praises to God, and we've come to worship. And now this group arrives, and they've been traveling for months. They may have been traveling for a year or more, and they want to give worship to the child. And they lay these gifts before him. And I'm sure Joseph, being the father, being the guy that feels the weight of provision, he saw the gold. And inside, he's jumping with joy, going, hmm. We got this thing taken care of. Our family is set for a while. By the way, if you've been thinking about giving me a gift for Christmas and you just don't know what to get the guy who seems to have everything, gold, okay? Always a good gift, I am just saying. Mary, I don't think she sees the gold. I think Mary sees the frankincense. Now, we talked about it last week. And it had a deeper meaning, but probably as a young mother, she wanted to care for the health of her family and frankincense was this tool this medicine that could be used for the health of her child, and she being part of a young couple from a very poor village could likely never afford it. She was so excited, but the myrrh, the myrrh probably for them was like receiving a framed picture of a lady from another culture that you had never met. I'm sure they did exactly what their mama and daddy taught them to do. They smiled and they said thank you. And after the Magi left, I'm sure they began to unpack all that had happened. And a, another piece had been added to this incredible journey in life. And they were trying to kind of understand it and all that. And then finally one of them broached the elephant in the room and said, but what's up with the myrrh? I mean, why in the world would you give myrrh to a baby, especially a baby boy? And the reason for their confusion is simple. Myrrh in the ancient world, if it was used for anything a little bit, it was used as perfume, which you don't give to a baby boy. But you can read about that in the Song of Solomon. But far more common use of myrrh in that day was to anoint dead bodies for burial. 
See, the scripture says that after Jesus was crucified, a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, but he was secret because of fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body away, and a guy named Nicodemus, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in all. Myrrh wasn't about life. Myrrh wasn't about birth. Myrrh was about the grave. Myrrh was about death. Myrrh was this really, really, really strange gift to give to a newborn baby unless it had a prophetic significance to it. See, listen to me. Christmas, more than we want to think, Christmas is about death. And before you mumble something right now about me being Pastor Scrooge, killing the joy of Christmas, and you want to tune out in our physical services, turn off on our online service, just stick with me. I really want you to dive in and think about something for me. See, I will confess to you, I love living in the big country. Now, probably like a lot of people in the big country, when I first came to the big country, I'm like, Lord, are you sure you want me here, and how long do I have to stay? But it grew on me like a lot, and I absolutely love being in the big country. If the Lord allows me to finish out my life in the big country with you, if I can spend my life just trying to bring glory to his name in the big country and from the big country to the entire world, I am all in and I'll be a very happy man. So I want you to hear, I absolutely adore our area of the world. But can we also be honest about our area of the world? With all the wonders we have, when it comes to geographic beauty, we lack a little, okay? Is that fair? I know some of you think of a day we have these incredible sunsets. I get the sunsets, and I've probably seen more sunrises than most of you have ever seen. But when our visitor bureaus markets our city, they rightly do not advertise and take these wonderful nature walks throughout Abilene and the surrounding area, right? With all the benefit of living in Abilene and the surrounding area, we just have to understand we lack in geography, but that's okay. Here's the good news. Wherever you go in the world, it is prettier than here. And we get excited about it, and we know it, right? Like we go to the mountains, and we feel the majesty of the mountains. When we go to the ocean, we see it, and we feel the enormity of the ocean. But you know what I've also discovered? The people who live there, the people who are around it day after day after day, they don't see what I see. And they don't feel what I feel. For them, it's just another Tuesday. And they're doing life. You see, we have a saying in our society that familiarity breeds contempt. And I don't know that it breeds contempt. But here's what I have discovered. Familiarity breeds apathy. Familiarity breeds complacency. Familiarity breeds boredom. And for us, we who are in our rooms, our online campus. We who grew up in the United States of America, there is something we are very, very, very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to die. Now, it's not like we have disdain for that verse, no. But it can be if we're not careful, we can see the verse, we can hear the verse and yawn. 
been there, done that, heard it, give me something new. Because we've heard it again and again and again. We're so familiar. We're not just familiar, familiar with it in the church. Well, our society is familiar with it. We hear this all the time. Now, I do not believe that as a nation we were founded as a Christian nation. I think there was a lot of Christian influence, but we weren't founded as a Christian nation. Our founding fathers wanted freedom of religion and freedom of worship, so they purposely didn't make us a Christian nation. However, they believed many principles of Christianity were beneficial to all of humanity, whether they were Christian or not Christian, no matter what they believed, no matter what their philosophy was. So they interwove into the founding documents many great principles of Christianity. And if you look throughout the history of the United States of America, the vast majority of Americans have claimed to be Christian of some form, some fashion, some denomination. It has been the dominant claim. Even recently, when you've heard about all the decline, a recent survey, 2021, this year, asked the question, do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose physically from the dead? What percent of people do you think agreed with that? Two surveys, 66% and 68% of people said they believe Jesus literally rose from the dead. Two-thirds of Americans today's culture said God did the unfathomable that he actually took on flesh and blood. And though he had no sin, he went to a cross and died to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he was sent to the grave. I believe he went to hell itself, and we believe he overcame death, hell, and the grave. Two-thirds of people say, I actually believe that. But we say it as casually as we say about what we had about breakfast this morning. See, something's wrong with that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Does it stir something? Does it motivate something? Listen to me. Joseph and Mary, that first Christmas, they could not even begin to comprehend the possibility that God would do such a thing. That myrrh, the myrrh that was about death, had to be the strangest of gifts. I'm pretty confident by the time the Magi finished their visit, Joseph and Mary were confident that God was birthing the Messiah, the promised one through them. And I suspect they concluded that the myrrh that they could not begin to understand was another source of provision for them to take care of the Messiah. It never crossed their mind that God would suffer and die for us. I mean, people who would say such an incredible thing would be seen as crazy, if not demonically possessed in that day. See, people in that day were convinced of one thing. The Messiah would come and he would be a king greater than David of old. He would reestablish Israel as this great kingdom, not only free them from Roman oppression, but that Israel would actually become the new Rome and would be the dominant kingdom throughout the earth. So Jesus turns 30, he begins his public ministry, and everybody begins to think he's going to raise up an army, he's going to have political rallies, he's going to do all sorts of radical things, and he didn't. He preached and he healed. He preached and he served. He preached and his, he helped, and people thought he was nuts starting with his family. The scripture says that when his family heard about how he was confronting the religious leaders of the day, not Rome, not raising up an army, not having a political rally, but he was doing that which they thought he should not do, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. The boy has done gone loco. He has lost it. You move on in life. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples what? That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law. That he must be killed. 
that he must be raised on the third day. So catch this. They say, you are the Messiah. And he looked at him and said, let me tell you what that means. And he, word for word, said what we know to be taken for granted. And Peter took him aside and said, never, Lord. He rebuked him and said, I'm never going to let that happen. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you have not in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Listen to me. That which we can say so casually, that which we can say so easily without awe, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son was so incredibly amazing that no one who walked with Jesus every day for three years could begin to fathom it. They couldn't begin to comprehend it. They could, even though Jesus told them this is what's going to happen, they're going, I have no idea what he's saying. And Jesus would tell them again, this is what's going to happen. they go, I don't get it. Jesus would say, this is what the Son of Man must do, and he would show them in Scripture. And they say, I, I, I can't begin to comprehend it. Even though Jesus said it repeatedly, they could not get it. It was too grand, listen to me, too great, too awesome to think that anyone, especially the God of the universe, would do such an incredible thing. Even his parents, visited by Gabriel the archangel, who became pregnant, though there was no sexual union who had the prophetic dreams, who had the shepherds show up after the choirs announced, and then they had those men from the east. They could not even begin to get into their mind. They couldn't dream or imagine that the heart of God was so grand that he would come and he would die in our place. But that is the grandest of truths. It is what Christmas is about. The Magi went to the house where the child was and they bowed down and worshiped and then opening their treasures, they gave him gifts. Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Christmas is about death. But it's not just about death. Christmas is about death that leads to life. See, in our world, here's how we think. The normal for our world is you live, then you die. It makes sense. Listen to me, in the kingdom, it is opposite of that. So remember, I told you that in, in the fall series on Flip the Script, that many things of the kingdom of God are opposite of what's normal in our world. We have to change the way we think. Well, in the kingdom of God, believe it or not, we die, then we live. That is the way we become a follower of Jesus. You see, death came as a result of humanity's sin against God. Death would separate God from those not only he created, but those that he loved. So Jesus came not just as a person who would face death, not just as one who would die, but he came as a warrior to destroy the power of death. You see, sin came into the world from all along God had a plan, for it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your former way of life, given to you by your forefathers. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before. Somebody say before. So catch this. Before God spoke a molecule into existence. Before God created one atom. Before God closed his eyes and verbalized and said, let there be light. There was light. Before any of that happened, Jesus was planned. 
don't make the mistake of thinking sin caught God off guard. See, some of us have this idea that God started with a plan, it went awry, and he had to make up another plan. That did not happen. An angel did not come running up to God on day seven of creation, all out of breath because he had to get there so fast, saying, Master, you're not going to believe this. They did it. I never thought they would do it, but they did. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the king didn't respond, oh, my me, what am I going to do? No. From before the beginning of time, God had a plan. When God created the Garden of Eden, he created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But at the same time in heaven, he had the tree of life. And to make sure we could get from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life, God planned at the same time. He planted another tree, a tree of sacrifice on the nub of a hill outside of Jerusalem. And in just the right moment, not a second too early, not a second too late, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. Listen to me. That which we can push off as so familiar and get bored with, it's the core of everything we long for. I'm telling you, maybe the most important thing that we can do in our faith journey as a follower of Jesus is to cultivate and nurture an ongoing awe of the greatest truth ever. For God so loved the world. God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me that I would not have to perish, but I could have eternal life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. I was already condemned and bound for hell, but he sent his son into the world to save the it is the most incredible of truths. We cannot let familiarity dull our awe and amazement. Listen to me, there are depths of this reality to be uncovered. There are heights yet to be climbed. The Apostle Paul prayed in the third chapter of Ephesians, I pray that you have power together with all the saints to be able to somehow grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that some is surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ. Our joy, listen to me, you want joy, it is tied deep within to knowing the grandness of God's heart for us. Our peace, our peace is intertwined with knowing that the greatest issue of my life is taken care of. I was an enemy of God, but now I am at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is about death that leads to life. Our hope, listen to me, our hope is tied to our death. It was Jesus who said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? It what? Don't, don't say it negatively. There's life here. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The way we become a follower of Jesus, the way we become one who receives abundant life and lives not abundant life just in eternity, but day in, day out of our life, is to die. Listen to me. Without Jesus, I am messed up. I am destined for eternity apart from God. But Jesus came to die, and through his death I can have life. I say yes to be his follower, which means I die to self-rule. It means I died to trying to fix myself. I died to trying doing things my way. I died trying to do, have enough good to overcome my evil in life. See, I know without Jesus, I am helpless. I am hopeless. But when by faith I say yes to be his follower, Jesus takes who I am and he puts him to death. 
And he makes him born again in a new person. A new person who's not only no longer an enemy of God, but listen to me, he adopts me into the family of the king. I am a child of God Almighty. And I have eternal purpose. And it all goes back to a hill called Calvary. It all goes back to a body that was laid on a slab before it was put in a tomb. And two men took myrrh and covered that body because they couldn't fathom, even though he had said it, that he was going to rise and he was going to give us a victory that we never knew we actually needed. You know, that's why we're baptized. It's a picture. Buried with Christ. and Raised into the newness of life. That's why Christmas is so great. Christmas is about death that leads to life. But listen to me. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just when we first become a follower of Jesus. It is our life. Jesus said, if anyone would be my follower, he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. Think about it. What is the purpose of a cross? Yeah, I know in our world we think, oh, it makes great decor. I got them all over my wall. They're awesome. I've got them as screensavers on my computer. I have them background on my phone. I've got necklaces. I've got jewelry. We've got all sorts of crosses are awesome. Okay, let's hear it like the first century people would hear it. Jesus is doing all these incredible things. He seems to be the Messiah. And they say, we want the life that you have. And he says, awesome, all you gotta do is follow me. They say, I'm all in. What does it mean to be your follower? It means you must deny yourself and take up your cross. And when they heard take up the cross, they could only think of one thing. Death. You must deny yourself and die daily and follow me. Daily, I die to my old self. And daily, I put on the new self, created to be like Jesus. Each day, I die to leading myself. And I surrender to the leadership of the good shepherd, the good shepherd who will lead me to green pastures, the good shepherd who will lead me to the quiet waters, the good shepherd who will lead me to paths of righteousness for his namesake. Daily I die to the way of thinking that is normative in our world. And I put on the mind of Christ. And because I put on the mind of Christ, he keeps in perfect peace. He whose mind is steadfast because that person trusts in him. Every day I die to my dreams and plans. I know you're looking at me and say, you are really un-American. You're supposed to dream, you're supposed to plan. No, I die to my dreams and plans, and I submit to the plans God has for my life. You say, why would you do that? Because he's got plans to prosper me and not to harm me. He got plans to give me a hope and a future. And you say, David, how do you know that? Because he died on a cross. If God be for me, who can be against me? He did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him for us all. How will he not also graciously give me everything? Each day I die to the normal American thought that the world exists to serve me. Because Jesus, who died for me, said he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve, to seek and save that which was lost. 
We exist in our world to join Jesus in sharing hope and life. You carry the presence of Jesus with you. Listen to me. You walk into your workplace, you carry Jesus. You carry authority. You go into your school, you carry joy. You carry peace. The presence of Jesus is with you. And we die to the reality that this world, I don't care what all the commercials tell you, the world is not about you and me. We came not to be served, but to serve. We want to show love to people. We want to give them hope. That, by the way, is why we're doing all the stuff we're doing at Christmas season. It's a great season to share hope with people. It's why we're having all those Christmas Eve services, because we not only want you to come and have an incredible time of worship, we want you to invite family and friends and anybody who needs hope, because we are going to proclaim that there is hope to be found. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. But we're having these other events like on Wednesday night, we're getting to join in with a local company that's bringing in Todd Pierce. It's called Born Wild. It's really pretty fascinating, especially if you're part of the cowboy world, the horse world, all that kind of stuff. If you're enamored by it, I have never seen Todd, never met him, but I've watched on video. And basically what he does is he takes a wild, unbroken horse. We get to pick the horse. He said, bring the baddest. And he says, I'll help that horse submit and finds its purpose. And within an hour, I'll ride the horse. And the whole time he's talking about how God so graciously works with us. And as we surrender to him, he lets us find our purpose and our meaning in life. It's incredible. It's absolutely free. All you got to do is go grab a ticket. Grab as many as you can. Bring a lot of family and a lot of friends. And then throughout the week, there's several days where at the Abilene Zoo, we're doing what we call Walk to Bethlehem. Walk to Bethlehem is absolutely free. You got to pay to get in the zoo. But how many of you are grateful we have the zoo in Abilene, Texas? It is a great, great thing. So pay your money. Don't worry about it. Get a membership. Pay for somebody else to go. And then as you enjoy all that, we have this great journey to help remind people about that first Christmas and what it means. We had, I think, close to 8,000 people come through last year. We're dreaming for more than 10,000 to come through this year. We just want see people to see hope. We want them to find hope. We want them to know that Christmas, yeah, it's about death. It's about death that leads to life. And it's a life that you can have. It's a life that I am walking in. It's what Christmas is about. Guys, here's the truth. We have no idea the day Jesus was born. I know people like to debate it. Well, he, was, he could have been born. He could we don't know when Jesus was born. The scripture doesn't tell us. We know the day he died. Because it's connected to the Jewish feast of Pesach. It's a Hebrew word for Passover. Festival of unleavened bread. But the day he was born was unknown. It's an arbitrary date. I mean, if you look historically, to be honest, some of the early church fathers saw that there were pagan holidays. And they wanted to take over those pagan holidays. And they said, what better thing could we do than celebrate the Incarnation? The word became flesh. And so in bringing light into darkness, they established what we call Christmas, Christ Mass. We don't know when Jesus was born, but you know who did? Mary. I bet she celebrated his birthday every year. I bet she remembered. I bet every year on Jesus' birthday, she contemplated what happened. The Bible says, Gospel of Luke, 
that Jesus, uh, Mary treasured all the things that happened and pondered them often. I bet on his birthday, she remembered little girl. So much had happened before then that the angel Gabriel said, Mary, you who are beloved of God. And he told her what was going to happen. <laughs> she goes, you've got to be kidding me. And she knew Joseph would just have nothing to do with it. And Joseph, her fiance, which is going to kindly put her away. Then God spoke to him in a dream. He looked at Mary and said, I don't get this, but I'm in. And they put up with all the turmoil and all the scuttlebutt, all the accusations. And then when she was most uncomfortable in her pregnancy, Caesar Augustus said, we're going to do a census. Go back to the town of your father. She looked at Joseph and he goes, sorry, Bethlehem. She goes, that's like three days away. Sorry, I didn't make the rule. <laughs> and the most uncomfortable time, she makes it to Bethlehem and she remembered. She remembered Joseph trying to clean up that manger as best he could doing all the work she wants. She's laboring to have a child. And she's wondering what's going on. And she remembers the shepherds showing up in the stories. And she remembered the Magi. I, I think the Magi were remnants of the Jewish exile because they were looking for the Jewish king. They were either Jews who knew the prophet or they'd been influenced by people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's just my personal opinion because they were looking for a specific king, the promised one. I bet it was the first birthday after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. She's contemplating all these things. And she's remembering, and she's remembering the Magi showing up. She's remembering them laying out their gifts. And Joseph was so excited about the gold. And man, she saw the frankincense and then the myrrh. And we were so quiet. And then all of a sudden it hit her, the myrrh. I get it. God was speaking. He was speaking all along. This was his plan. He was born so he could die. So I, so everyone in the world could live. That's Christmas. Christmas is about death that leads to life. And I don't know about you, but I want to glorify God by taking every bit of life he has for me. And I pray that would be you as well. Let's bow our heads for a few minutes. Man, just ask the Spirit of God to speak to you. Man, have you lost your awe? It's okay. I get it. If you were born in America, you were born in the mountains, so to speak, of faith when it comes to things of Christianity. I've talked to some people from other cultures who had only heard the gospel of Jesus like months before was a giddy excitement to them about the gospel. And though I didn't relish living the life that they had lived and gone through what they had gone through, I was so jealous for their joy. So jealous at their awe of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And yet I still battle, I still battle the battle of familiarity just like you do. And I am just praying, come on, I am praying that the Spirit would empower us to be able to grasp in deeper and higher ways the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of His love.
know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you want it? Come on, that's what this season's about. It's a gift to us. If we'll take it. Man, let's walk in awe of him. Maybe you need to re recommit to take up your cross daily. Would you do that? It's so easy just to live life. The purpose of Christianity isn't to come to church on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. It's not to attend online. It's not attendance. We, we gather together to encourage ourselves, to encourage each other, to live a life of next steps. To live a life of next steps means I die so that I can step with him. I die so that I can live. And maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I say yes to be your follower once again. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross daily and I will follow you. Just do it right now. Maybe you haven't done that ever in your life. This is Christmas season and you're here and what you really think, this is the most common thought we have, is I need something to change in my life so I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get a little better. You don't need church. You don't need to get a little better. Listen to me, you need to die. You need to die. The good news is when you die, he raises you to the life you were designed to have from the beginning. That's the promise. That's Christianity. Death that leads to life. You can do it right there. You can say, Jesus, I'm getting it now. I am helpless. I'm hopeless without you. I cannot fix myself. I can't do enough good things to overcome my evil. I can't do enough to overcome my sin. Kill the sin man. I give you myself. And he will take the old man and put him to death. And he will raise you up right here today. Just say, yes, Jesus. I say yes to be your follower. And you just start living that way every day. And he makes you brand new. You there? Spirit of God, we invite you to do your work in us. I pray for a fresh power upon us, the church, upon us, Beltway Park, to in no way become bored or complacent or apathetic about that which is grandest. We speak against the spirit of this age that would want to use the spirit of familiarity to dull us to that which is grandest and greatest. I pray over your people that there will be a power from you, O oh God, to grasp and know in ever deeper ways the height, the width, the breadth, and depth of your love. That we would be able to see in higher and deeper way the grandness of that love. It goes beyond our normal knowledge. The Spirit of God, give us revelation of it. Give us awe of it. Pour yourself out on us. And God, give us faith. Give us faith that as we die each and every day and follow you, that we find the life that we need to have. We give our lives fresh to you, oh God. And we thank you that you are the life giver. And we say we will submit to you and to you alone. We surrender ourselves to you in a fresh way. Use us. Use us these coming weeks right where we are. Anoint us in a fresh way to bring life and joy and peace and hope to the places where we are. Let it just ooze out of us because of how enamored we are. That's the word I pray over us, that we would be enamored with the message of Jesus. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Sink it deep in us, oh God. We love you. Be glorified 
in us and through us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.